0: Today's episode of the Hot 4 Podcast is proudly sponsored by SSV Limited. From tanks to full brewhouses, SSV Limited has got you covered. SSV Limited have established themselves as the go-to partner to help you grow your brewery. High quality tanks, parts, brewing kit, coupled with the knowledge and experience to ensure your project runs smoothly from beginning to completion, whether it's equipment supply, fully turnkey or anything in between. Their part shop stocks well over a thousand essential brewing parts to keep your brewery up and running, many of which are available on next day delivery. Visit their website on ssblimited.co.uk. That's ssblimited.co.uk. I'm Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hop Forward podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hop Forward is a weekly podcast dedicated to the craft beer industry featuring interviews discussions and stories from the whole brewing supply chain from grain to glass so grab yourself a glass pour yourself a beer and get ready to hop forward in the brewing and beer business hello cast crusaders and welcome to another sesh on the hop forward podcast This week on the podcast, I'm talking to a new upcoming brewery in Leith, Edinburgh, with a vision to produce precision brew beer for easy enjoyment called Moonwake Beer Co. But before we uncover the origins of Moonwake, I first need to make an amendment to last week's show. For the studious amongst us, you may have noticed that I said this. Rebuilding an old chicken shed into a brew house, which now outputs 50 hectolitres per annum. Wait, what? Which, as was pointed out to me on social media, is completely ridiculous. Because, let's face it, Vocation brew larger gals while they're on their tea break. According to Sean Robertson, one of the guests on last week's show, Vocation brewed 35,000 hectolitres last year and are projecting an annual output of 60,000 this year from their 50 hectolitre brew house. So apologies to Vocation and Guayla Beer UK for the inaccuracy there. A mere slip of the tongue with all the excitement surrounding craft beer, supermarkets and pubs reopening and all that. And as I've been reflecting on all this, you know, people's volumes going up now, pubs are open and all the rest of it, you know, as I can imagine for the case with pretty much every brewery across planet Earth, 2020's output was somewhat significantly diminished. However, for one brewery ready to take on the world with a solid lineup of beers without a NEPA in sight... They barely even made it to the starting blocks before lockdown halted their building works in their Tower Street unit back at the start of 2020. Consequently, the founders of Moonweight Beer Co., Finlay Heslop and Vinnie Rosario, took on a lot of the demolition work themselves and even painted a mural on the wall whilst listening to the Hot 4 podcast. And uh, further still, as literally watching paint dry wasn't enough, further delays were thrust upon them due to the pandemic and the dreaded Brexit, meaning they spent the next lockdown awaiting delivery of their 35 hectolitre three-vessel brew kit. I did get the hectolitreage right there. (laughs) Uh, Delayed due to a backlog of containers at the port of Felixstowe. Fortunately though the end is now in sight as Moonwake Beer Co edge their way ever closer to launching their first beers in May or June or possibly July. Uh soon hopefully at the time of recording this on Monday the 26th of April 2021 I saw an hour before I hit the record button a photo of them celebrating the long awaited arrival of their brew kit so let's hope they've got some beers on the way soon uh so before we tune into this discussion with finley and Vinny from the brewery where they discuss the origins of Moonwake, i'm going to hand over to my good pal linda birch from brewery market who is back for another beer of the week
1: hello i'm linda from brewery market In Twickenham, the flavour for Draft Apothecary, where we encourage people to drink differently by engaging and inspiring the senses. The brewery we have picked this week is the awe-inspiring Vault City Brewing, who are from Edinburgh in Scotland. Fortune truly favours the brave with these guys because they are knocking out some absolutely... Delicious, crazy, tasty, wonderful, wild, mixed fermentation sour beers. These types of beers traditionally or typically contain a combination of different yeasts. So brewer's yeast, wild yeast, uh, lactic uh, bacteria. I think traditionally there are just sort of two... Styles which is mixed fermentation with uh, lactic acid bacteria and fermentations without that bacteria. <laughs> bacteria, as we all know, is a pretty, pretty tricky thing to handle, so it can be quite difficult to brew the beer to exactly your preference. It can get easily infected, it could be too much acid, too little acid, it's just open to flaws. Vault City have developed their own in-house yeast and it's pretty special and fairly unique. It takes your typical lactobacillus strain and they've mixed it with kviet yeast which is a sort of Viking yeast that would normally and traditionally be used at much lower temperatures, uh, or it's good for lagering, but these guys are using it at practically almost boiling point. And this gives them the exact juicy fruity Esther profile that they are looking for. Back in 2018, Steve and Johnny came together over a mutual love of they their words out their beers. And I think in a kitchen in Edinburgh they were trying to brew some beers, fruit forward beers in a basement. It wasn't long before these guys were getting such great feedback from their friends, family, and a small part of the industry in Scotland started to notice them too. Skip forward a year and these guys are making waves. They're making premium fruity sours, quite often with like really locally sourced ingredients. For example, their farm to fermenter series. They were just literally going out themselves. Picking fruit at local farms and then starting fermentation in just 12 hours. But their tart IPAs and imperial stouts are just some among some of the most flavourful beers that you'll find in the business. The beer we've chosen to taste is the Plum Bakewell. Um, they, they did a Bakewell series. I love Bakewell. I love the place Bakewell. I love the history of Bakewell. Um... And this beer is just chock full of plums, it's 7% Uh, It's got a sort of really nice biscuity base from the malts and it's just packed full of plums, almonds and vanilla. Okay, let's get this beer open. And what hits me first is just the jammy smell to it. Sort of really funky, sweet smell. It's got a real rusty amber colour to it. I actually expected it to be much darker in colour from from the plum, and I'm I'm really starting to get those biscuity, oaty notes coming through on the nose now. It's going in for the sip. Mm, I'm really surprised by the flavour. It's way more it's way more bready and oaty and biscuity up front than I expected. It's quite fizzy and very jammy. You might be familiar with the Bakewell tarts, a popular dessert in the UK named after the Derbyshire town of Bakewell. You've got short cross pastry, a case filled with jam, filled with frangipan and normally topped with flaked almonds and glacier icing. I absolutely adore the place Bakewell. It goes back to, it goes back over a thousand years. I believe there's even mention of it in the Doomsday book. But there's no evidence that the Bakewell tart as we know it today was created in Bakewell. It's a variation on the Bakewell pudding which was created in the town and I love the story. It goes that Mrs Greaves, the landlord of the White Horse Inn, left instructions to her cook to make a jam tart. Instead of uh, stirring the almond paste and eggs into the pastry, the cook spread the mixture on top of the tart So when it cooked, it sort of set like an egg custard and it proved very popular with visitors to the inn. The inn was demolished in 1805, so no one knows, you know, the exact date of its creation, but it also appears the recipe um, in an 1845 cookbook on modern cookery for private families. And of course it features in Mrs. Beaton's book of household management. At some point um, later in the nineteen hundreds, the Bakewell tart was created. So we ha- it, it was an adaptation on the Bakewell pudding. It must have met with someone Italian because there's a uh, frangipane in there now and ground almonds, and much more interesting gre- ingredients. And it's only when the tart is topped with half a candied cherry that it is known as the Cherry Bakewell. But how on earth do you pair this beer that tastes like food with anything? It's sour, it's sweet, it's already got so much going for it. So what are we gonna put it with? There's a few ways that you can think about beer pairing with food. You can obviously use the beer to cut through fats and oils. You can use it to complement other sour flavors or you can use it as a sort of contrasting flavor. Now I don't know about you but if I'm eating a Bakewell I would normally have it with a cup of tea. So I was thinking about those delicious sorts of flavours and I recommend pairing this with an absolute classic, the malted milk biscuit. I think you must remember them from school, you've had about one or two with a carton of milk, smelt like beer if you remember but this, oh it just goes so perfectly with this beer. I really recommend you try it. Another food recommendation would be, now don't shoot me because I know not everybody will agree with this, but a Hawaiian pizza. The complementing sort of sweet and sour flavors of the pineapple and the ham and the sour beer, can't go wrong. But what I really recommend you try this beer with is some fresh spring air. Put it in a backpack pack yourself a ham sandwich go for a walk take in the gorgeous spring blossom that's around at the moment sit down on a quiet spot nice bit of sunshine on your face crack open this beer and take a deep breath of spring and remember to drink differently till next time
0: Thanks, Linda, for that. And um, I've, you know, I've, I've never had Vault City, and obviously, I think there's there's been quite a lot of talk about them on uh, social media at the moment with uh, the whole supermarket thing. And you know, I, I didn't know Linda was going to do a tasting that was as controversial as that. I mean, Hawaiian pizza, Linda. What can you say? Each to their own, I suppose. Well, I've not had Vault City beer before, openly confess that, put that out there, uh, but I am going to seek them out from my local independent bottle shop and I suggest you do the same as well. And I might encourage you to head over to brewmarket.co.uk if you want to buy a beer from Linda's shop. Um, she sells... Loads of great beers from across the world and does national delivery as well. So if you live further afield, you can order them online and get them shipped to your door. So go to brewmarket.co.uk to find out more and drink differently. So one last word before we crack open a cracking discussion with the fine gentleman from Moonwake Beer Co., like poring over engineering diagrams as you commission your brand new shiny brew house, or scanning hourly through the freight schedule, desperate for updates on when it might be arriving. Here's all the necessary blur. If you like the Hot Forward podcast, then follow us on all the socials at Hot Forward Beers. Subscribe to the show and leave us a review on iTunes and Spotify and all of the good podcasting platforms and visit our website hotforward.beer to connect with us and find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business with branding, creative media and business consultancy for breweries, bars, bottle shops and supply chain businesses. For now, grab a beer and let's crack open today's discussion. Today on the Hot Four podcast, I'm talking to Finley Heslop and Vinny Rosario from Moonwake Beer Co. Hello. Hi. How you doing? Hi. How you doing? I'm um, good. Thank you. How are you guys? Yeah, very well.
2: Yeah, good. not too bad. Good. good. B- busy day painting the brew house. Uh, not 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 so much for me today. Uh, lots of uh, admin work for me today, but uh, it, it, other other than the painting in the unit, it's all it's all you can really do at the moment.
0: Have you um, have you guys painted the entire thing?
2: Yeah,
3: we have
0: wow. It's good luck. Cuz I mean I've seen no, pho- good, I've, I've seen photos of it, you know. It looks
2: it looks mega, you know. So yeah, the the the, the big wall um which you may have seen on the on our social media stuff, is uh took us uh 3 months to paint. Wow. But like Vinny just said it was the perfect lockdown uh <laughs> task. So
0: Cool. Well, well, I mean, we'll come on to that. Um, but but firstly, just for our listeners, can you introduce yourselves a bit about your background and the experience that you guys have had in the world of beer?
3: Yeah, sure. Um, I'm Vinny. Uh, as you probably already guessed, I'm a Kiwi. Uh, I trained in the food pro industry, so I graduated as an engineer, engineer, sorry, and actually started my life in dairy. Oh, wow. I moved to London. Yeah, so I moved to London in 2012 and made the jump to brewing about a year after I've brewed in quite a few places, so I started my career at Sandbrook's Brewing in South London. Right. I've spent some time in Barcelona brewing at Garage Beer Co. so I helped set up the brewing kit in the city centre brewery there. And before I started the Moonweight project, I was the head brewer at XT Brewing Co. just in the Buckinghamshire border.
0: Right, so you got some pretty good experience there.
3: Yeah, a bit of, bit of experience. So yeah, yeah. hence well. he's on board.
2: <laughs> yeah, so so I'm uh, I'm Finley. Um, my my story is a little less glamorous uh, than uh, than Vinny's, but uh, essentially brewing uh, and being a brewer is is all I've ever done uh, since I, since I was eighteen, and I very much fell into it um, accidentally. I suppose is the best way to do it. Uh, I didn't really know what I wanted to do um, at university, uh, but I needed to do something so I decided to just go and get a job uh in in brewing and see if it was something that I wanted to do and uh, I've never looked back since really um so between sort of then and now uh all 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 I've done is 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 brewing and brewing for various people various companies running breweries that kind of stuff and um yeah that's it I haven't I haven't gone and brewed in Barcelona or anything (laughs) but um but yeah that's
0: me Cool. Well, usually when I interview brewery guests on the show, they've usually been trading for a good number of years. But at the time of this recording, which is mid-March 2021, you've yet to commission your brew kit. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. yeah. I mean, w- w- just what's that experience been like so far?
2: Um, um, frustrating. It's yeah? probably, probably the best word to put it. Uh, look, the the most frustrating thing about it is... Everything or the reasons for delays have been completely out of our control, Um, but you know we 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 have to adapt to those things, uh, and it's very much been a learning experience for us. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, it's allowed us to focus on some finer details um, and get things right. It's given us a bit more time, Um, so it's 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 been all in all a good experience i would say yeah because am i right in thinking
0: that your brew kit has been delayed because of brexit is that right
2: yeah
3: it's a bit of a brexit covid double whammy um, <laughs> the perfect, perfect storm, storm. <laughs> yeah so basically over christmas all the ports got held up with a bunch of companies going under literally hundreds of thousands of uh, shipping containers just stuck in port boats not coming in so we just couldn't we literally couldn't ship the kit out of china Wow. So we've just been stuck waiting for a ship. We've got a ship now. It's on the. It's officially on the boat on the eighteenth of March. So amazing. Everything looking good now.
0: Good, good. For a brewery that's been a year in the making, like how has the pandemic altered your plans thus far? so did you did you start to plan this before the pandemic, or is this something that you kind of came into around this time last year? Or I mean, just take us from that journey of like how has Moonweight basically? started and just Mm -hmm. the journey between
2: then and where we are now yeah so the uh yes it did start before before um the pandemic um not not long before the pandemic to be honest the 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 idea of it's probably uh uh, two and a half to three years in the making uh but we didn't actually start moving on it until about february last year Mm. um in terms of the pan uh you know the, the the alter to any plans I, w- I would say no. Other, other than the delays, which have ultimately been frustrating, uh, th- it hasn't really affected our core business. Right. Um, we're still very much um, optimistic about, uh, about the market, uh, and it's nice to see that people are still drinking. Even, even though pubs are closed, they're just uh, finding different outlets for that um the 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 only thing that i would say is it's made us think about a canning line a lot sooner than than (laughs) we probably would have done um and that's just to build some resilience into the business because as much as i'm I'm not (laughs) going to try and scare anybody but something like this could happen again um and i think we need to build that resilience in to make sure that we can survive should something like this happen again And when we start producing, there's no guarantee that we won't go into another lockdown before the end of the year. So Mm. um, it's definitely something we've been seriously looking at. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I always
0: think that um, I like to use music and and beer as I think they're quite, you know, they operate in very, very similar ways. And I I always think like um, going to a pub or a bar and drinking a, a, a pint of keg beer is a lot like going to watch a band you know it's something you experience obviously there's the people there there's a vibe and all the rest of it whereas you know canning or bottling your beer doing it in small pack is like you know literally taking home the cd <laughs> who listens to cds anymore but you know what i mean like you yeah, take yeah, it home really and all the rest of it and it always amazes me that um you, you know there'd be so many brewers that just don't have well until i guess the last year haven't ever really put that much into small pack Whereas it's like actually, you know, you can really get your brands much further um, by the fact that they can, you know, physically hold something on one end of the country rather than have to be in a, a
2: specific place and time. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean the 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 the, the current the current pandemic has has really shown that. Um, mm. It's really shown the importance of small package and and yeah, I think people have neglected it. Um, but as you say, I think it's a very very good way of getting your beers into people's hands and and not everybody goes to the pub as much as it might be uh, surprising to some um you know pe- people do just drink at home and uh, you're, you're sort of cutting out a part of the market that shouldn't be cut out you know yep
0: so uh, many breweries, as I pointed out, I'm in my cellar with mine, <laughs> um, n- <laughs> normally start on like a, a small kitchen setup, or, you know, something like this, which is a, a barrel um, in a garage or wherever. Um, but, you know, and then usually upscale to something, you know, a bit larger, but still reasonably modest, you know, like a 10 barrel kit or something, or maybe <laughs> not even that. But you guys are starting a 35 hectolitre brew house. So w- why did you make that decision as a new brewery to go in at that um- size?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. We've been asked that a few times, actually. Um, Ben and I, when we first, very first, probably three years ago, talked about this project, we were going to start a wee brew pub, a couple of barrels, that was it. And um, David Hestwell, one of our investors, just was like, that's not ambitious enough, guys. I want to get involved, but I want to get involved in a much bigger scale, because once you meet David, you know everything has to be done on a grand scale, (laughs) which 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 has been great for us and really opened our eyes. Uh, the reason at the end of the day where we pick 35 hectolitres instead of something bigger or smaller is that it's commercially viable. You can really push the brand uh, throughout the country mm. and you don't have to brew 100 times a day just to you know, push your brand. But also it's small enough to fit inside a city really yep. and it's small enough to experiment. I mean, you can't start a 60 hectolitre brewery in the on the shore in Edinburgh at the end of the day. And um, being in the city centre and being right in the middle of where everything happens was always really important to us. Mm. And um, I love living in cities. So. Yeah.
0: yeah. So w- when you're, when you're financing something like that, if you don't mind me asking, like mm-hmm. what, what kind of considerations do you have to make on that, on that kind of scale? Cause obviously I think you're probably talking about a lot more money than, you know, s- scraping together enough to buy a, a secondhand mash tun and, and a van that's been beaten up, mm. you know, and, um, and if, if you're lucky, only if you're lucky, a proper brewery floor, <laughs>
2: Yeah, uh, it's one of the it's one of the biggest pieces of advice that we've ever we've ever got is is put it on a proper floor. Yep. you know, ne- never skimp off the floor. It's a single most important thing. So, um, yeah. in, in in terms of actually um, financing it, you, like I said, we we are very lucky. Um, we have we have managed to get a lot of internal financing, but we we had to find a few other avenues. Um, because of what we were doing uh of, of support uh and we, we we managed to get the scottish government on side um uh, with us so we actually received a or are receiving a grant through through the scottish government mm. um this it's it's mainly based on creating jobs which is obviously incredibly unique in in the world that we're living in at yeah. the moment um so so that's quite important for us but it also includes things like exporting so exporting scottish goods um, as well as filling holes in markets, whether that be gluten-free beers or uh, low or no alcoholic um, beers into the market, you know things like that. so so uh, we managed to convince them to give us some money. but again, it's 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 all based on creating jobs. so over the next three years, we have to create a certain amount of jobs yep. and, and also pay them properly, uh, you know, real living wages um, and and things like that. so so that's very important for us. Um, and you, you you have to fit the criteria. And essentially everything that we said we were going to do just fit into that criteria. We didn't have to adapt anything, mm. um, so 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 that worked quite well. But we also managed to get uh, Close Brothers. Um, they uh, in the industry, they 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 make e casts e-kegs, those kind of things. But a lot of their the, the biggest part of their business is actually financing yes. um brewery kit and essentially um we managed to convince them to give us uh, to give us some money as well so and that was all down to a lot a lot of it's a lot of it's down to branding and how and how you and how you uh sort of showcase yourself to them mm. um you know you, you've got to convince these people that that you're going to pay them back, and um, you, you do have to, as, as well as as well as giving them the cash flows and and all that kind of stuff, you do have to, um, you know, be positive and and ambitious about what you're doing, but yep. also conservative to the point where they, they they don't think that you're you're not going to pay them back. So um, yeah, we've we've been very lucky, and and it, it took us many months. It's not a it's not a quick process. It took us. Probably six, seven months to to get to the point where we'd convince them, and that delayed us initially. But then it threw us right into the start of the pandemic, which uh, which then delayed us again. Yeah, so, <laughs> so, yeah. So that's essentially how we've done it. Mm. Um, it we, we we we've been lucky. Yeah. One one of the um, it was sort of comes on off uh, Vinny's point. Um, one of the reasons why we went so big as well is. Um, we are an experienced brewing team mm. um we we know how to make beer we've 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 done it for a long time and um this for us isn't a hobby it's very much business and yeah. and we want to be professional in a professional outfit and i think if you do that you you have to be confident that you can grow and if, if if you look at any of the big players in the in the craft beer industry at the moment you know they all bought small kits initially so they had ten ten 10 barrel kits or uh, 20 hectolitre kits or, or, wh- or whatever you want to call them and very very quickly they had to buy a new kit yep um so essentially what we're doing is sort of coming in at the at the level above sort of were um and hoping it's risk but hoping that we can we can hit the ground running and and, and have and have a good business very very quickly mm.
0: so when it comes to commissioning a new kit because i would imagine you know you, you've got ex- experience of that um I know, obviously, Vinny, you, you have through um, Garage Beer Co. Um, and I'm sure this will benefit a lot of listeners out there. You know who will probably go through this process of either maybe upscaling or even starting breweries. You know, I, I still talk to a lot of people that are starting breweries. Um, what processes do you need to put in place to figure out things like you know your efficiencies and all the rest of it? Um, you you know, or even just things like. And again, this is going to depend on the type of kit you get. Because I, I recognize if you get something that's yeah. a bit more semi-automated, then you know, with a good control panel, then you don't have to figure this out too much. But when it comes to like things like efficiencies, the temperatures, and all the rest of it, how how do you figure all that stuff out so that when you come to put your first bruise through it, you're not like, oh my goodness, I thought I was going to get this mash temperature, but I didn't, and no, no, you know, <laughs> everything's all out of whack, and and so yeah. on. So what? Just just talk through that process of commissioning a kit and and sort of things you need to consider.
3: Yeah, no, that's great. Um, I'm quite lucky. I've got an engineering background, which I find hugely helpful. So just the way of being able to read engineering drawings, being able to read PNID drawings, I found quite helpful. Mm. So when the people making the kit were like, is this what you want? You could then talk to them in the right language. Yep. So if you're starting a new kit, I would recommend trying to learn how to read engineering diagrams is a big part of it. Um, the experience in Spain also as you alluded to was great. I mean, this was twice as easy to be fair, because I didn't have to speak Spanish, which I couldn't speak at the time, so <laughs> that was that was a good challenge. So everything in English, even it is at times in a Scottish accent, is is great. Um but yeah, also the great thing with us is like uh pick someone you want to work with. Like we after we talked to a lot of kit suppliers, we chose SSV because they are a great company to work with. They were really honest in the process and they worked with us, not against us when trying to design the kit. So when we wanted little changes, we explained why and they made the changes happen. But mm. when we, mm. when they saw things based on their experience that wouldn't work, so for instance, the size of the condenser, they were very, very quick to tell us why it wouldn't work, not just it wouldn't work. And um, so leaning into them and using their expertise was a great help as well um use your friends as well like we had loads of people who helped us who would may not have expected so randomly oh because i'm an engine i've got friends who are engineers uh, i had a guy come to london who actually his job is commissioning breweries for places like lion nathan and things like that so i got him to look over all our specs which was really helpful with he looked over is this the right stainless steel is these the right pumps is this the right everything else and it only cost me letting him crash at my place in London for a night. So that was a nice cheap commission. Um, and as we've alluded to before, I do think the best bit of brewery kit you will ever buy is the floor. Yeah. It's <laughs> the, the very first bit of advice I got in brewing. Invest in your floor. You can add mash tun, You can upgrade mash tuns later. You can get bigger fermenters later. You can add automation later. But once your floor's in place, that's key. I've brewed on awful floors and it's a nightmare, and I've brewed on great floors and it's amazing.
0: Yep, yeah, I've brewed yeah, on bad yeah. floors before, <laughs> and it's just the worst, yeah. isn't it? Very much so. Yeah, it yeah. just adds. Right, I think adds so much time to your brew day.
3: Yeah, it's your biggest infection risk as well. At the end of the day, yeah. I mean, every little porous part in your floor is an extra bit of surface area, and if you can get that nice and smooth, it's, it makes your life so much easier. And it, it does seem like a huge cost for nothing when you're setting up a brewery but it is definitely worth
0: it yep I spent tens of thousands of pounds on a floor
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah and and, and especially uh, it's especially difficult when you're renting a unit because mm. ultimately you can't take the floor with you no um it's it's there so uh, you're, you're you're investing in somebody else's unit that should you grow out of that uh unit uh you you, you can't take it with you so it's it, it, it's difficult for a lot of people to understand but it is it is incredibly important <laughs> cool so i mean originally
0: you were called origin beer co that's that's right isn't it that's correct um yeah.
2: why why the change of name to Moonwake beer co well t- technically speaking we we are still called the origin beer company by 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 company name uh ch- changing that at this point is, it's not worth it uh we might look at that eventually but um, but but not just yet so so moonway beer co is a trading name did the, the reason why we changed was when we first came up with the name we thought it was original um yeah, but after after moving up and going through uh you know ordering the kit and all this kind of stuff we did a bit more digging and as much as there isn't anybody called the origin beer company or, or, or anything that like the word origin itself is actually relatively common um in 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 the industry there's a lot of people that use it in in various ways Mm. um whether they call a a range of beers origin or, or or you know so we we took some advice from from our trademark lawyers and they essentially said that if you can come up with something more unique um your your brand will be a lot secure, a lot more secure, and um, we pondered it for a little while. But essentially, we thought if we were going to do it, we'd better do it now rather than when we're actually trading. Yes. um So yeah, that's that's essentially the reason uh, why why we did that. Um, it, it's frustrating because for a long period of time it was Origin, and it, it's been very difficult for myself and Vinny to get our heads around not calling it <laughs> Origin anymore um whereas our our uh, new employees they they've always known it as Moonwake, so so it's uh it's very odd sometimes but um yeah we 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 just took the the advice that we were given and and decided to change it up amazing what i mean what does it mean because it's, it's a great word and i remember when i
0: first saw it when i got a, a press release i was like that's such a cool name you know <laughs>
2: Yeah, so we, um, we, we well, we, I, can, I can go on to sort of, it, it took us about seven days to come up with. Um, essentially what happened was uh, we, myself, Vinny, and and our, and our partners, we we had a chat and we just sort of started writing words down, writing words down on pieces of paper. And then of course, 99.9% of them are all rubbish and uh, they, they don't mean anything. Um, so, but I started looking up, words that don't have direct translations into um into english uh see if there's any cool words in in danish or, or something like this and essentially i found a swedish word that is uh the moon's reflection on a body of water the, sorry it's the road-like effect that it creates on a body of right. water and technically speaking it doesn't have a direct translation however uh, Vinny found moonwake. Which is a very close translation, which essentially means the reflect the moon's reflection on a body of water, um, and we thought that it works incredibly well with our current branding because right. our branding came before, before uh, okay, uh, uh, before that, um, and it worked very well with our branding, and it worked well for the location that we're in, with the we're surrounded by water here, mm. down on the shore in Leith, and obviously it's an incredible, uh, incredibly important ingredient in beer itself, so. Um, it's sort of fit really and and can't beat scottish water you can't beat scottish water yeah vinnie's obsessed with the with the, with the water up here it's incredibly clean um yes and 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 that's that's it really and but it means the the, the moon's reflection on a body of water
0: oh, i see so the the kind of Cause it obviously does the, the on the branding that that sort of circle with the mm-hmm. you know the the colours and the way it's if if you're listening yeah. to this and you've not seen it look it up and you this will make sense but yeah I suppose if yeah you, you had that branding before right before you changed the name correct. so yeah. that would be in like the O for Origin or how, well, how how did how did that journey sort of from a branding point of view sort of progress
2: yeah so um, yes yeah in in a, in a sense the O was Origin um, but actually sort of the reason why we like the branding so much um and we went down this route was the um simplicity of it um it's in, it's incredibly clean incredibly simple and sometimes simplicity is the hardest thing to get right mm-hmm. um and when you and when you do do it right it's very striking it's very easy to add lots of extravagant images and animations or 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 whatever it might be and um that's sort of why we were attracted to it it it, it didn't it didn't mean there isn't a huge connection between origin and that branding it worked because of that o but it was very much just a really good looking piece of branding and um we all fell in love with it and we, we we couldn't really bring ourselves to change it at any point yeah so
0: as so as someone stuck. that does branding myself you know I, I think it striking is the word you took the words out of my mouth you know it is striking it's very like wow you know it's because it is so simple but it's mm. you know the, the the simplest designs are always the hardest
2: exactly you know they really are and i and i think i think with what we've got we we have achieved that and you know i'm, I'm not going to take any credit for it um we have an incredible graphics designer who's 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 a local guy in Edinburgh called Greg Perry, and he is just uh, incredible at what he does, and and everything he's produced since that first um, branding pitch essentially has been incredible. Um, and I w- I would advise anybody to go and have a look at his work as well. He has he has a website, and um, yeah, he's he's great. Amazing.
0: So as, as a new brewery going to market, what, what's going to be different about Moonwake? Because, I mean, th- there's a lot of beer out there. And, um, you know, along with the, the product tasting absolutely spot on, you've got to, you know, more so than ever, have a story or an angle or, or some kind of other differentiator for people to take notice. So what what would, if if some somebody was like, you, you were telling someone about your brewery, And they were like, "Okay, yeah. So what? You know, like, what's what's going to be different about Moonwake?"
3: Um, yeah, no, good question. Uh, At the end of the day, we're not here to reinvent the wheel. I mean, beer's been around here for tens of thousands, tens of thousands of years. But what we really want to focus on is just precise brewing and just getting back to the fundamentals and doing them right. It's one of the big reasons we picked a lager to brew first, because Mm. as anyone who's brewed a lager knows that there's nowhere to hide with a lager. And it really tests your skills as a brewer which is what i love um another big thing we want to do is just remove that veil of mystery around brewing in a way if that makes sense and just make it a bit more inclusive and just make it a place that's real like convivial and a place where people are confident that they can come and just enjoy beer Mm. if that makes sense yep uh we don't want to have people think they've got to look a certain way or talk a certain way or drink a certain beer just to fit in because i do think even though no matter what all the cool things the brewing industry has done it has at times tried to make itself a bit too cool if that makes sense yeah and um, it can get a bit frustrating at times and so many people i think can get turned off by that and like our branding we just want to go back to basics make it simple and I do i do believe that there's a beer out there for everyone just because he don't like lager doesn't mean he don't like sars and so many people have just got down this route because they've tried boring beer or they've been put off by walking into a craft beer thing and there have been too many choices or too many adjectives sometimes in front of a beer and yeah just trying to take that away yeah i do also yeah. from a more personal point of view i know if Ben agrees with me is that I kind of want to shift the idea that lagers are just boring, shitty, crappy beers. Sorry, I was swearing. Um, crappy beers on the market that have no flavour and just, you know, you just drink them just to get drunk. And lagers can be incredibly enjoyable as well as easy to drink. And if brewed well and brewed precisely, they can they can be one of the best beers, especially especially up here.
0: Oh, for sure. I um. I got sent some Budvar Reserve, which is um, like a two hundred day matured, seven point four percent. I think seven point four percent Budvar. Yeah, I
3: saw
0: them. Oh my word, it's insane. You know, it's, it's,
2: it's amazing. Absolutely spot on. It's, it's it's amazing what those guys can do if they actually do it properly. It's. I mean, the, the mass-produced stuff that gets pumped out is 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 really depressing, which is kind of what Vinny's alluding to. Um, you know that there there is some rubbish out there, um and and uh, if if it's done properly, and you know these guys can do it properly, it just takes too long. Yeah, um, it can be absolutely incredible, and and some of the best yeah. beer that you'll ever drink.
3: <laughs> oh, sorry, I was gonna say when I got trained, I got told a lager's <laughs> got to be intact for at least four Sundays. It has to see four Sundays intact, and that's something that we'll take into moonwake. You know, something I've always done while making lager. And then when you see some of these industrial breweries pulling it in in six days, and to think it can be in tank without seeing a Sunday, it just sort of really blows your mind that it's so removed from what it should and used to be.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling the pressure now because I'm brewing a Vienna Lager tomorrow. <laughs> 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 but um, yeah, I've, I've
2: well, I mean, in, in in terms of that stuff, as long as you're happy with it, and as long and, and as long as you're as long as you're drinking and enjoying it, that's that's the most important thing.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's a commercial setup, so I'll be selling it, so I'll have to wait and see what's selling. All right, so it's it's not, no, that's it's not, not just me. That's not the most important thing. <laughs> no, 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 no. If it was just homebrewing, I wouldn't care, but it's uh, uh... But yeah, I literally I've got a license, so I, it all get, you know gets sold. So it's a it's a very small commercial brewery. Um, so yeah. I'm sure it'll be wonderful I'm sure it will <laughs> um, I mean so talk, talk us through your core range. obviously you've got your lager and stuff but how, how did you you know I know you probably alluded to this a little bit but like, how did you land on the other beers because I, I mean I was personally glad to see it wasn't just a bunch of neepers with citra simcoe mosaic in
3: yeah so as we said before uh, we brewed our lager that's one of the first beers we came out with uh, we chose well for the lager we're just putting our own personal spin on, on it as well all Scottish barley And we're using all New Zealand hops, but all hops that have come from the Old Noble variety. So it's that real uh, blend of old old world meets new. Mm. And that's how we sort of feel when we brew in the lager style. It's not going to be a 16th century lager made in Bavaria, but we are not going too far away from the techniques. Uh, For a pale ale, we decided to brew a pale ale as well. at this point, probably just point out that we came up with these beers like a year ago, year and a half ago. And this February, we've got a new sales manager in Wes Hall, who's been great. And he kind of came through and really talked to us. We chatted with the beers and really adapted the beers quite a lot since then. So some beers changed dramatically, some beers not so much. But we've all, uh, as a brewer, I'm sure you're the same, you get in your own little head sometimes and brew. You want to brew all these wonderful things, and it takes an outside person sometimes to look at the range and be like, that's good, that's not so good. So, yep.
0: <laughs> been um, there.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think as brewers, we've all been there. Uh, to get back to the core range, we've got a pale ale that we put oats in for the mouthfeel, and we put loads of tropical hops in there to uh, give them mango like cheese flavors. It'll probably be a more sort of contemporary, mainstream sort of beer, but it's a beer we really felt we wanted in our arsenal. Uh, we've got a five percent IPA as well, which we're going for the more sort of piney, resiny, lemon lime. But we're gonna low use loads of Southern Cross in there as well to give it loads of lime flavour. Just ah. it's a personal favorite pop of mine and interesting. Just give us a sort of point of difference and just it's a lovely hop, Southern Cross.
2: I I hadn't used it before um I'd actually met Vinny. Um and, and we were we in our in our last job. So uh, I don't know if we alluded to this at the start. Myself and Vinny met each other at XT, which is what which is where right. we uh, which is why we know each other sorry the origin stories um <laughs> it didn't start with how we met each other sorry um yeah and uh i i'd never used it before but we managed to get some a very small amount of it and ever since then i was i was sold on it so so as soon as Vinny said that we we're going to be throwing some in one of our core beers i was um, i was over the moon so it's great old yeah. happy days
3: have you used it much before or
2: who me yeah
0: no no i've heard of it but i've not i've not used it
3: yeah. it's a bit more limey you than your sort of your standard uh instead of your more grapefruity mm. hops got a nice flavor and then the fourth beer in our core range is a milk stout, which we're going for that sort of more rich velvety, sweet milk stout. but just using hops to get that hints of vanilla instead of using vanilla we're using hops to get that vanilla flavor through the back yep and to be uh, to be honest, it's probably my favourite style of beer to brew. There's just something nice about brew dark beers. I feel. <laughs> oh uh, yeah,
2: um,
3: my favourite.
2: Yeah. There's a, some something you alluded to when 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 you asked us that question, Nick. Um, the the, the you know they they're not it's a, it's a, it's not a neat there's no neapers rammed full of ridiculous ridiculously expensive hops. Um, we we feel that the the core range and this this is backed up by by our potential customers as well and experience we, we we feel that the core range has to be precision uh, and it has to be easily enjoyed yep um th- this this is the stuff that you want to see permanently in pubs uh, it's the stuff that you want to see just being constantly poured over the bar it's not something that you'll have half a pint of and go well it was all right but now i feel like i'm removing hops from my teeth um you know it's 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 not one of those and you know we 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 do have a lot of interesting beers that we want to create but ultimately the core stuff and you know there's no point beating around the bush the stuff that makes you your money has to be this stuff and it has to be back to basics and you have to do it right um so that's really important for us. And and like I say, that was backed up with potential customers that we've spoken to yeah. in our local area. And they're, they're glad that we're not doing these crazy things that they know they can't really sell. Mm. Um, they're great for your own tap room and, and maybe a few yeah. sort of specialist craft beer bars, but they're not good for the, the average pub or bar that's just pumping out volume, essentially. But they also, um, they're not and that's great for the average human.
3: drinker as well. And I think, oh, sorry to cut you off, Ben. Um, just before I was just thinking that we're not brewing just for beer geeks as we alluded to before and I think that is a sort of trap you can sometimes fall into because yeah. they they're the loudest voice. And it had I've seen other breweries uh, fall into this trap where you're sort of brewing for that that you know that bit of writing or that beer geek or whatever. And sometimes you just forget what is actually enjoyable to drink and you don't always need seven adjectives to describe your beer
2: yeah.
3: um, in my opinion at least yeah. yeah not that some of those beers can't be beautiful it's just that you don't always want to drink them all the time
2: yeah there'll be definitely a lot of people that disagree with us <laughs> yeah. but uh but you know it, it is what it is I, I remember having a conversation with the i don't know if he is anymore but the head of sales from from wild beer at a craft beer rising event and I don't know if you're aware of the weird and wonderful things that wild beer make. And Mm, they had, they had 12 different beers on, you know, mushroom beer and, and all this kind of stuff. And you're talking to them about it and you know, they don't make any money on that stuff. In fact, more often than not, they'll lose money um, because it's just so, so expensive to make these things. And uh, you know, the, the, the the small beer that they make called Bibble, uh, you know, wild beers Bibble that's their, you know, four point, uh, don't quote me on the ABV, but you know they're sort of 4.2 percent session beer and that's what they make their money on and that's how they stay alive it's not these weird and wacky things that they're known for so you know you have you have to do the basics right it's very important oh a bibble's a smashing
0: beer absolutely cracking you know and particularly um, if you get a pint of cask i mean i've not had one for a while but i remember a pub that had it uh, around the corner um several years ago and i was i just got so excited you know it is such a great beer it but, is, but it, it's always pushed to the side. Yeah, but yeah. you're because, right about... Because it's forgotten. But you're right about the beer, you know, it is always generally the beer nerds that shout the loudest. And it is, and it is. Yeah. I mean, I've I fallen into that trap in the past of, of getting sucked yeah, into so the world I. of Twitter, you know, and, and thinking, oh, you know, maybe I should be brewing these jazzy, exciting beers and stuff. And I uh, I posted a comment on um, a forum, yeah, I think it was yesterday, at the time of recording this, um, where someone was asking some questions about contract brewing and yeast and stuff. And and I made this comment which said um the 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 fact of the matter is like 90% of people out there can't tell the difference between one beer and another. And they, yeah. they genuinely can't, you know, and, and and somebody did the little angry emoji, you know, my comment. Yeah. And I was just like, I'm sorry, but that is the reality. That most, is, yeah. most people can't tell the difference. You know, they'll know. They'll know. Oh, this is you know a punk IPA is different from a, a whatever, but they won't be able to identify exactly what, let alone pull out the nuances of a. Um, oh yes, I can taste the Nelson seven in that. <laughs> uh, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, I absolutely I, I
2: couldn't agree yeah. with you more. People spend years training to taste. Uh, you know, specific flavors in, in anything, you know, beer, beer, wine, all these things and to expect the average Joe to, to be able to do that on a, on a night out where they're drinking with their mates is, is it's silly, isn't it? Yeah. So, well,
0: I've met, um, I've met loads of brewers who can't differentiate flavors. Well, there is, is that really, as well. Which yeah. is really sad, you know, and, and they would be like, what's wrong with it? And it's like, well, can you not taste the, like, acetaldehyde? You know, <laughs> it's, 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 you know, uh, no, I can't taste that. Either that yeah. or the lion. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I we're...
3: think it's, I was say also I th- I do think it's a, it's having different backgrounds as well. I do think like our background, we started as brewers and trained as brewers or night before that in the food industry. So you come with the sort of more precision idea where there's a size, there are marks you've got to meet, there's temperatures you've got to hit, and I can't homebrew to save my life. And whenever my friends ask me to do homebrew, I'm like, oh, you need to have your mash in at this certain temperature. And then like, oh, I can't control that. I was like, well, I can't help you then. <laughs> 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 so I do think it comes back to that as well. It's like, you do we're doing simple beers, yes, but we want to do them precisely, we want to do them correctly. And there's no point doing the big jazzy beers as you talked about before until we can get the basics right.
0: Yeah, totally.
2: Which I'm positive we can.
0: So I mean, what what are your hopes for the brewery, and uh, where where do you see yourselves in five years' time?
2: Obviously, that's quite that's a really easy question at the moment with the uh, the pandemic. Yeah. and how
0: long is it gonna last?
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it'll be nice. Yeah, it'll, it'll be nice though. Uh, no pandemic. We'll start. We'll start with that one. Um. Honest, honestly, it, it's hard to see. Uh, we uh, we're incredibly ambitious, and, and and we'll keep growing, and we'll and we'll we'll adapt to what's in front of us over over the next over the next few years. We've We've obviously got uh, a little hurdle to get over, if you call it that, um, initially. But in terms of sort of ambitions for us, I think being respected in the industry is incredibly important for us. You know, we we may have just uh, slagged off the beer nerds, but we ultimately we we do want to be respected in the industry, and we and we want to be known as, as as an incredibly good brewery. You know, rated amongst the best of them, and. I, I think every brewery should be striving to do that. Hmm. Um, I think e- exporting Scottish produce is very important. I, I'm, I'm obviously not Scottish, hence the accent, but a lot of my family are, and i've I've had a I've had a huge connection up here for, for a very long time, and that's very important to me as well. Uh, sort of get sh- showcasing what what you can produce up here and with the water that we have and and the barley and and is is, is incredible so you know that's very important as well and, and i'd love to grow a, a worldwide pre- presence over the over the next five years i think that's a big goal for us and it's also a big goal because of the the grant that we've got as well so so it all ties in quite nicely um being consistent i think it's really big mm. I, I i mean i think vinnie vinnie will back me up on this yeah, 100%. again for our core beers if, if if we can make you know we'll obviously need to adapt our, our core beers a little bit going forward um depending on and on the teething issues with the kit but once we've got it locked down that beer needs to taste the same in five years time it, it can't be it can't be changed and you know that is down to a few factors but um you know if we do everything that we can then then we'll be known for that and I think that's really important. Yeah, but one of the biggest things for me, biggest biggest things for me, is creating a workspace for our employees that sort of encourages confidence and and creativity mm. uh, is is really really important for me because y- you know they're not they're, the, the people that you employ are not just little cogs in in a, in a big wheel. They're incredibly important in their positions and. Um, you know, Sarah and Wes, who, we, who we've currently got, uh, are absolutely fantastic in their roles. And um, I can't take any credit for the stuff that they do. And, and, and we very much hired into areas that we know we can't, myself and Vinny can't do. And there's no point pretending that we can. Um, so we, we want to create a, uh, an environment that makes people want to work there. Yeah. That's, that's incredibly important. And as soon as you have that, you know, you pay people properly and you give them a good workspace and they have, you know, self-fulfillment and all that kind of stuff. Um, They work hard for you. Yeah. And and that's incredibly important. I mean, that's, that's a huge topic in and of itself. I I did a a podcast
0: um, before Christmas with Christian Barden from kegstar, basically talking about all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's huge, you know, um, you've really, because like, You've just really got to value your staff and value the people that work for you. And you know, it's like if if people want to come to work, um, you know, they they feel supported and genuinely feel part of something, and genuinely feel like they're contributing towards that thing. Even if it, even if it isn't the best pay in the world, you know, it's not the most highest paying sales job, marketing job, whatever it is, they'll yeah. they'll want to stay because they they enjoy it. They feel like part of a family and all the rest of it rather than just like um you know just just give me the extra weeks holiday year and the company car and all the cash you know and, and then you're really unhappy mm-hmm. it's you know your working life is such a huge massive part yeah
2: of it yeah. um of, of your life you know so yeah absolutely it's um it's a lot of people can uh, undervalue it and i i it it it's so detrimental to your, to your business. If, if, if you, if you don't have people that believe in what you're doing, then nobody else is going to believe in what you're doing because, you know, things, things like that, certainly in the industry do come and back, back and bite you. I'm, you know, I've, I've heard horror stories in in the industry of, of, of places that, you know, they, they make out to be this amazing place to go and work and, and it's all smoke and mirrors, Mm. you know, they turn up and, and they're, they're sort of, thrown in at the deep end and they don't feel part of something and, and and ultimately they leave and um i don't think that that's that creates a successful business um at all it's it, it really doesn't work so it's very important and a lot of that actually i think that that thinking comes from from my father actually he um he until up until he retired he had an employee owned business so they sold it to the employees and. It was all about the employees, so every decision that was made, all the employees were, were consulted, um, and and decisions were made ultimately by the employee council and and the board of directors. But they had you had so much say in what was happening, and I think if 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 as uh, an employer you can't be challenged by your employees, so if you say you say this is a decision and they challenge you and you don't accept it. Or, or at least try and address what they've said. Then you're a bad employer because you you're potentially not listening to something from somebody who might have better experience in that in that regard. And um, you know, our sales guy. I'm not going to pretend to know how to phone somebody up and try and sell a keg of beer to them. Um, you know, he specialises in that, and I'll give everything that that he wants to him so he can do his job properly. And um, you know, and if and if that happens, you're you're onto a winner, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, so. wow, absolutely.
0: So, I, I guess just to, to round off, then, um, where do you guys see breweries and hospitality changing over the next coming years in light of the coronavirus pandemic? Like, what do you think will be different? What sort of things do you think will remain? And what, what I guess what what do you personally think needs to be different and would like to see? change and or maybe some of the things that actually you hope that will hold on to at the end of all this not that i kind of vision this this is going to just magically end
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh yeah no um i think breweries of all and the hospitality scene has all had a huge shake up um over the last year and a bit uh we can't pretend it hasn't uh I think it's going to be interesting to see how how the beer scene does change when people get back into pubs. I I personally feel we're going to move, have a little bit more move back to session beers like we used to drink. Um, People have got used to drinking at home, got used to drinking, probably slightly stronger standards they're not used to. You know, a double at home is a bit bigger than a double in the pub. (laughs) And you don't count your pints as closely when you don't have to walk home or get a bus home or anything. So I think that will come into play. And I think people want to maximize their their time in pubs when they get back. So they'll drink more sessionable beers and beers where they can stay longer up. As far as I think things will stay the same as good breweries will stay the same. Uh, the good breweries brew good beer. UK people love good beer and they'll carry on drinking it if it's good. Mm. And mm-hmm. if you if COVID's, COVID's not going to end you, I don't think very little is going to end you i think that's one of the great things we've seen we've seen what breweries can do and the resilience of breweries i know they're struggling at the moment a lot of them but they're surviving and they'll come back stronger hope hopefully yeah
2: yeah i i think um i don't think much will change um obviously how many pubs open up and bars open up is going to be a thing um initially but i think in in a year's time I, I think things will be back to normal and I think people will go back to what they know um, and so, socializing with your friends or your, or your family in a pub or a bar is a, is a, is a pretty popular pastime for, for, for most, for most people. Um, so I, I'd like to think that things just go back to normal. And that, that's certainly what I want. Maybe, maybe I'm just saying what I want um, yeah. as opposed to what might happen, but, um, I'm pretty optimistic that the market will come back um, yeah. and uh, we'll, we'll be back to normal. Yeah.
0: I think it's definitely highlighted everyone's need for social interaction. Massively. Yeah, you know, I agree with that. And and, and, and not just a, a passing conversation at the school gates or, you know, where, where, whatever. Um, of course. Of you course. know, it's it's like going to the pub with someone and sitting yeah. down and or having a meal with a bunch of mates. Mm-hmm. um you know or a barbecue whatever you know so much of our life happens around food and drink and yeah. and, and the idea of uh there being a meal and that you know a com- communion almost um if, yeah it, yeah I, I just don't think that as human beings we'll ever stop that i think that's been happening since the dawn of time yeah you know
3: no i agree with you i i yeah. do think the oh, point that like, you said before one thing i would like i would like to see changed And this is more about the beer industry in general than the hospitality industry. Mm -hmm. And I would like to see a bit more diversity in the beer industry, I think. I think that's one of the big things the beer industry is missing. Um, So we've got Sarah, who you know, who's working with us at events and, um, sorry, marketing and events manager, and seeing her work with the women in beer and the great things they've done has been great. And I think we need to all push that on and make sure coming out of COVID, we don't forget things like that yep and i'd also just like to see like maybe try get some more people of color in the beer scene as well and you know try to get more ideas and get a bit more diversity and in that sense as well just because you know with more people we'll bring more palettes in, more history in, and just hopefully and i do think just better bear all around and so i think that's one thing that i'd like to see change coming out of COVID.
2: yeah, yeah. i i think i th- i think a lot of that is it's it it's not for me it's not necessarily a, a need to change on that it, it's 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 doing more so so a couple of was it a couple of days ago International Women's Women's Day yes yeah. um and just the massive outpouring on on social media from from breweries uh for that stuff you know collaborations left right and center people celebrating that and that's absolutely fantastic so I think the in the beer industry as it is, it is starting to change for those things. It is. It, is that, it just it? needs to speed up. You know, I, I I, think we're on the right track. It just needs to go a bit faster for that stuff. I uh, that's. I just don't that, want to see that
3: yeah. people use COVID as a reason to stop doing that no, as well. Of course. Yeah, of course.
2: Yeah.
0: So. I think the danger with things going to back to quote-unquote normal is that those old habits die hard and it's, you know, it's kind of like, great, okay, everything's open, you know, and you get back into the routine of everything. And whether that's, you know, the, the most perfunctory routines of how your day operates to those, you know, mindsets that have just been well carved out, you know, the yeah. years, you know, the, the sexism and, and racism and stuff that is just rife in society. You know, and it's mm-hmm. it was it, again, it was like last March when we went into lockdown, and you'd look in the sky and be like, there are no planes, and then you'd notice yeah. a plane every so often. You're like, oh, there's a plane in the sky. You know, where well, you, you yeah. even now, like, it's kind of like planes are in the sky. Okay, yeah. Whereas you know, for this period, it's kind of like you know, nature's taking over the streets again, and you know, um, oh, maybe we could reclaim the earth and and be friendly towards it because there's all this climate change stuff and now also it's like yeah whatever you know and yeah. it's just be it, that that kind of feeling that everyone had you know the clapping for the NHS and all the rest of it just it, it just kind of like poof, blew away as quickly as it came you know and it's like actually what, what you're right you know what what we actually need to see in in the industry and and I guess in wider society's actual change you know and
3: yeah just be more welcoming i think as, as an industry i think it's like been said we're doing a lot but i think you know we just can't forget it and just can't just think the battle's won i believe
2: yeah yeah for uh, sure. I, I, yeah definitely it's um you yeah, know it's we're our own worst enemies sometimes where we sort of we turn a blind eye to something and pretend it's not there and um hope that it goes away uh, i think a lot of us did that at the start of or before we we ended up getting locked down you remember when yeah. the COVID was a thing in, in just in China and everyone went, oh, it's not going to come over here? <laughs> yeah, you know, and I was one. I was probably one of those people, and I had conversations with those people as well. And you're like, oh, I'll be all right. Yeah. And how how naive were we? Um, you know, and if we if we don't learn from everything that's happened, because obviously an awful lot has happened uh, during this pandemic, if we don't learn from that, uh, not necessarily solely as an industry, but as a society, if we don't learn from stuff like that, then um yeah we'll be doomed I think but, yeah but I think um I think uh, we've, we've got to try and find the positives and things and and ultimately for us personally we we can only do what we can do and what we can control and um I think I think that's yeah if, if you if 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 individuals do what they should be doing yep then then we'll be all right and what you guys can do is start a brewery and brew some great beer <laughs> yeah that'd be good uh it's been it's been a long time coming that's for sure yeah. i know i know i know um vinnie's chomping up the bit to, yeah. to 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 get going and now yeah ho- hopefully a bit of norm- normality in the next few months yeah we, m- we might see something
0: so awesome well it's, it's been amazing having you on the podcast like how can people find out more about moon wake and when are you guys hoping to launch
2: yeah so the normal channels obviously so we we have a website uh, moonweightbeer.com um all our social media uh, profiles as well moonweightbeer um which you can all find on our website as well um pretty pretty standard stuff there in terms of when we when we're starting we're hoping to be in production by uh what is it the end of april to the start of may um so we'll, we'll have some beer in tanks at that point and then it's about two weeks or so two to three weeks after that depend depending on how quickly we can get it into tanks um so towards the end of May start of June we'll have some beer um unless and you, hopefully it coincides with people uh, people being able to go back to the pub in some capacity so unless you do a lager first in which it's a minimum of four Sundays <laughs> yes well exactly <laughs> um yeah that definitely won't be the first thing that comes yeah. out it'll <laughs>
3: be your first and last out i think the lager
0: yeah definitely. <laughs>
2: yeah, bro. yeah amazing yeah. thank you no thanks very much nick it's 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 been great i mean this has been the, the sort of first chat really that we've had with the outside world it's 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 been a it's been a very tight-knit group for a while because of obvious reasons um so it's been it's been nice to chat to somebody about what we what we've been getting up yeah. to and Honored. and, and
0: yeah. well it's that time again at the bar for another week of the hot four podcast don't forget to subscribe to the show on itunes spotify and all other good platforms be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business We make your beer look as good as it tastes and we help you brew up a better business through branding, marketing and consultancy. Remember to follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers and for another week, cheers!